Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Okay, here's how Miro works. See? It's amazing! What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Hey, everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Geek Buddies. We're back again this week to have a little fun talking about nerd stuff, talking about geek stuff here in the world of entertainment, movies, television, uh, Star Wars, all kinds of stuff dancing uh, dancing around today and also get into our main topic, which is a tribute to Robin Williams on his birthday. Having just happened, uh, we wanted to do a little special tribute, Remembrance. Uh, of the man uh, and all that he was able to give to us as fans. Uh, I am one of your hosts. I am the outlaw John Roca, joined by. Uh, I am Michael Vogel. Uh, what am I? I'm a writer and producer of TV shows and movies that are animated. That's what I am. <laughs> and I am Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer. Ah, now I'm messed up. If you, you may, go. you may have seen me on TV on Silicon Valley, Toon Wolf, and Nine One One. There we've only go. done this thing. We've only we've only done it the same way for like a year. I don't know why. 
don't know why we're messing up now. Yeah, that's all right. It's all right. It happens. It happens. A lot of news is breaking, and uh, we're, we were a little late on the start because my internet went down for a little while, which really freaked me out. I didn't know how reliant I had become on it uh, with on the internet uh, until this last hour when all this stuff was going on. I had a whole full day planned, and I'm like, if the internet's out, I'm not going to be able to do any of this stuff. And it's, I was like, all right, calm it down. Go take a walk. Relax. Do you feel like your internet going down had anything to do with your building being retrofitted for I'll be honest with you. I went out there to see if they were doing anything and they were not. I think it's more, it, they said it was in a number of areas. So I think maybe a cat probably bit some kind of wire or something and then they have to go and set it all up again. You know, it's always something small. I mean, it feels like, it feels like some weeks you're living in a war zone over there in Beverly Hills. Like, <laughs> really? I'm a little worried, no I'm a little worried about you. You know, one, one of the funniest gonna... things is when I listen back to our episodes or episodes of other things that I record while this stuff is going on, like the cinephiles, it is really annoying to listen to. So I to- totally apologize to everybody who has to listen to those bangings and those drilling and the sawing that's going on underneath. But they laid down the concrete, so maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel finally for this to be done. And wouldn't it be ironic if an earthquake happens before they the day before they finish? That would be very, very funny. Uh, don't, don't fix it! Don't fix it! <laughs> tune, in, tune in next week to our all-new podcast, Construction buddies where we're going to talk about what's going on in roca's yard <laughs> so anyway today this week no uh so uh, for those of you who are uh new to the show thank you so much for uh listening to us or downloading this episode for those who are coming back thank you so much for staying on the train here on the geek buddies we really appreciate it uh uh to, if you're new the way the show works is that each of us talks about one geek news item and we all kind of have a little bit of a powwow about it then we take a little bit of a break and then jump into our main topic and as i said earlier our main topic will be a tribute to Robin Williams and the nerdy geekiness that we feel about that man. So uh, let's jump into it. Uh, am I going first this week? You are going first. You are. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump into it. Well, a lot of rumors broke as we were about to record this week's episode about the possibility that Donald Glover, that's right, Donald Glover coming back possibly as Lando Calrissian in a TV series for Disney+. Plus. This is on the heels of so much happening with Disney+, Plus on the TV side of things. Certainly, we had The Mandalorian. We had the last season of Clone Wars. We just had those behind-the-scenes uh, incredible uh, series that was on Disney+, Plus about The Mandalorian and Star Wars as well, with Dave Filoni and all the different directors there from season one. Uh, we had rumors about Kenobi. Now, Kenobi going back on the shelf to be worked on a little bit and then pulled back off the Cash and Andor series. And now comes this news that possibly... Donald Glover is coming back to the Star Wars franchise to play uh, 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 Lando Calrissian in its series. And we don't know uh, too many of the details or too many particulars because, like I said, this is a pretty massive rumor, but it comes from a reliable source here. Our, my, uh, you know, Two of my friends from uh, the Schmodown, Molly Damon and Alex Damon, they're from Star Wars, explained they were part of this broadcast. I think Noah Outlaw was a part of this thing as well. They were talking about it and mentioned that this is kind of a little bit of a breaking news. So it's not 100% confirmed i think grace randolph three months ago mentioned it in a, in a show as well uh, so we don't know yet what the situation is what the deal is when it's going to be placed when it's going to be set are there going to be recurring characters we don't know much of anything all all we know is that this is a rumor and that's a possibility um mike and shannon what do you guys think about this do you like this idea do you think this would work for donald glover and for disney Absolutely. I think this is an awesome idea. No matter your feelings on how Solo turned out, Mm. um, I think universally everyone really liked Donald Glover's take on a young Lando. Mm -hmm. And I think after, like, see again, seeing how Solo turned out, filling in those enormous shoes of Harrison Ford, I think hindsight being 2020, everyone's like, maybe you should have started with Lando. 
Like maybe you should have <laughs> just started with Lando. And then the last shot of the movie, he sits down, Lando sits down across the sapat table from this brash young, this brash young rogue who would be, you know, would be, would be Han Solo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, of all the television series that they've announced for Disney plus, I think a Lando series is such a natural fit and is exciting. And what would be great is if they could weave Billy D Williams in there. Like if you mm-hmm. could have Lando from the past, Lando from the future, you know, he's, he, maybe he's talking about a, a heist he pulled one time. Like, I think that would be, I think that would be a blast. I think it'll be interesting to see if Donald Glover would actually commit to it seen as how he's uh he he seems like he's pretty occupied right now it'll be interesting yeah Yeah. what do you think mike yeah i think it's a great idea uh you know i think it's kind of cool that um you know there's been a lot of articles about that era of star wars that is between the prequels and the original trilogy uh basically the time in the galaxy when the empire was really taking over because all the prequels sort of get us up to the point and clone wars as well get us up to the point where we see the empire finally take over Mm-hmm. And when we get to Star Wars, it's really the beginnings of this actual rebellion fighting it. But that, you know, the territory that sort of uh, Solo covers and Star Wars Rebels covers uh, and Rogue One kind of gets the tail end of is that period of time when the Empire was really occupying mm-hmm. everybody, where the Empire was doing what they were doing. And between the Obi-Wan series, the Cassian Andor series, uh, and now potentially this Lando series, uh, as well as whatever you do with Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano, yeah. there's a there's a bunch of really cool, compelling characters now that exist in this. Is it? I mean, roughly 18 years because it's Luke yeah. and Leia are born, and then we get to New Hope. So this roughly this 18 years where we've got Ezra Bridger and the crew of the Goat. Like, there's a bunch of characters that we know, a bunch of, but it's also a very untapped area where there's a lot to explore. We get to have the big, the Empire as our big bad guy. We get stormtroopers. We get all the stuff that we like. Um, And seeing Lando just do his sort of uh, roguish, sort of questionably legal things. I mean, there was some really, you know, when Marvel took over uh, uh, the Star Wars comic book license and did a bunch of different Star Wars comics, uh, some of the most fun sort of miniseries, uh, there was a Lando miniseries that was all yeah. about him that was really, really fun and exciting. So I think yeah. he definitely can carry his own show as a character. Donald Glover, obviously super compelling and charming and handsome and sexy and talented and amazing. Uh, so he's great. Uh, and so I think it's like, it's really kind of cool to see that, uh, with the exception of Mandalorian, which is a post return of the Jedi thing, them sort of diving into this sort of era of star Wars and fleshing it out, which I think could be a lot of fun and really work well for them in the TV space. I think you make an excellent point, Mike, this idea of like the law, lo- like, uh, in essence, like the lost years of Christ, you know, these, that he, you know, he left, he went into the desert, he was gone for like 14 years and he came back out and he was, uh, uh, the son of God. If when you read the Bible, this could be uh, th- these first 18 years of Luke and Leia's existence distance haven't really been explored that much in canon right i'm sure legends and all of that explored it there may have been references in these books that have been released by claudia gray uh, and other writers to those early years but there hasn't been one that really explored all this time so could we have a little bit of a young luke a young lay it's a way to essentially get away with recasting these iconic roles having them in some way cross paths with lando as he's doing all the things that he's doing it would make it a little creepy when he shows up later in Empire oh, Strikes yeah. Back and he's yeah, trying to get think, on Leia. So maybe yeah, that, I don't maybe. know that I don't know that I don't know that Luke and Leia can ever, from a canonical standpoint, I don't know that they can ever actually cross paths with Lando. But yeah. uh, obviously, 
Obviously, Han can. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, a lot of the articles are saying, is this sort of a spiritual sequel to Solo? Right. Do we get right. to see some of the stuff that we were not going to get to see in a Solo 2 happen in a Lando, but kind of to Shannon's point, uh, with a subtle shift that yeah. Han and Chewie might appear, but not, might not be the main characters, and it's really Lando-focused. Uh, right. Will we see Darth Maul? Like, I mean, you know, all of right. these things are possibilities, given where he exists in this era of Star Wars, that yeah. I think, uh, you know, they're just doing a really, really great job of. I, I have a feeling that we will, aside from, like, whatever, wherever Mandalorian goes with baby Yoda and the characters that they introduce there and like whatever direction they take, I think we're going to probably see them see Lucasfilm and Disney steer pretty clear of the first order mm. steer pretty clear of the 30 years between Jedi and yeah. uh, force awakens aside from wherever they decide to take Mandalorian. Right. Um, and I think that we will see them in the future explore this area this sort yeah. of 18 years or so uh because there's a lot of fun and it's very familiar to star wars fans mm -hmm. as well as doing the stuff that they're doing in publishing with the high republic thousands of years ago right, and right. wherever they decide to take star wars sort of post rise of skywalker into whatever new era they eventually decide to uh head into with brand new characters yeah well Sh shannon do we get emphasis nest come back do we get uh, I think Jonas uh, Suotomo coming back as uh, as uh, Chewbacca is certainly a possibility. You yeah. have, you know, I mean, don't you think? And so maybe Enfys Nest, like you said, Darth Maul, Michael, a little bit earlier. That's a possibility for sure. Um, also, Lando's, you know, are we going to explore Lando's sexuality? This is a Disney Plus series, but Lando, you know, it was pretty clear. He was, you know, kind of all over the place with his sexuality. So would they explore that? Will we get L3 back in some format? Will we go? What will we get from a series like this that would be interesting to and groundbreaking to watch and, and witness? And listen, Kira's a possibility. Amelia Clark's not lightening up at lighting it up at the feature film world. So why wouldn't she come back and do maybe two or three as a recurring character in a series like this? She made her bones in television. That's what she's known for now. And she hasn't really broken out on the feature film side of things. So why wouldn't she come back to this uh, as well? We've seen on the Marvel side of things, Shannon, they've spent a lot of money for on bringing all these A-list characters into WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier and what have you. So why not here? Well, and depending when they decide to set the series, I mean, yeah. Lando met Kira before, like he knew her right. pri prior to the events in Solo. And also the the L3 Lando dynamic, that was a blast to watch. That was something mm -hmm. that we got robbed of fairly quickly. It'd be great to see sort of the 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 further adventures or the previous adventures the of previous, Lando yeah. and L3 yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> on, on, the, on the Millennium Falcon. That'd be great to see. And, and kind of to your point, Johnny, I mean, they mm -hmm. do have a pretty uh, big opportunity here to sort of, uh, you know, Lando, uh, I guess it hasn't been officially canonically sort of stated, but like seems pretty bisexual. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, adding a key bi character to the Star Wars universe could be a big win for them. And it's something that you could easily do that doesn't step on anything that has happened before with Lando, if anything, it kind of makes it, uh, underscores it because he is yeah. pretty much the sexiest smuggler in the galaxy. So, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. you know, the ladies love him, the fellas love him, the droids love him. Like what's not to love. Exactly. Um, and you know, and Michael's, uh, you, you guys know this, uh, Michael Shannon, you guys know this, um, well, it just hit me, Michael Shannon. Oh, I like that. Uh, um, that, you know, this idea of having Disney, 
only do cursory references to gay characters has been uh, something that's been a, a source, a sore point for a lot of fans with Disney over the last few years, as Disney has tried to slowly work in these characters uh, and claim that they're doing groundbreaking things by doing this, maybe having a lead character uh, in a show like this who explores that is their way of finally pushing back on their critics who've been kind of calling them out on it. And I will, you know, just to give Disney Plus a little bit of credit, yeah. not not a ton, because you're absolutely right, particularly in the features, that is a that is a uh, constant and consistent issue that we have talked about right yeah. here on Geek Buddies. Yeah. But uh, if you do happen to watch uh, Diary of a Future President on Disney Plus, if you watch uh, High School Musical, the musical, the series, right. it's my favorite title of a show to say, <laughs> or even the Pixar short out, uh, there is some level of representation that I think they're handling well. And hopefully this is an example of a way to elevate it. Like you say, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right. Well, well, uh, you know, it's not a, a solidified thing. Disney uh, has been reached out and has not issued a comment uh, by numerous sites and has not issued a comment at all. So we'll see what they, we'll see if they kind of officially announce this thing going forward. But Donald Glover is not lacking for work with Atlanta coming up with uh, his music career taken off with the stuff he's working on. People forget he won an Emmy for writing on 30 rock. So he's a very accomplished person. Maybe they turn him into the showrunner of this thing as well as the star. I don't know if he wants to take on both mantles, but certainly that's a possibility in this situation here with Star Wars. So be something to hang your hat on or your helmet on. Hey, oh, for sure. Yeah, it's not not officially confirmed, but the force feels strong with this one. I yeah. kind of have a feeling like it's legit. Like it's oh. it seems like uh, it seems like this is the way they're going. And it oh. it you know, and this is one of those things. If it wasn't if it wasn't true, somebody at Disney is like, well, shit, get Glover on the phone. Let's do this thing. <laughs> But Wait, I think, but I think he's interesting. I, think, I didn't know he's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's probably true. I think it's probably true. All right, there we go. All right, what do we got next? I think Mike, you up next, right? Yeah, I have <laughs> news. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing no. kind of new to report. Nothing kind of shocking to report. But in our ongoing coverage of how shitty it is to love movies in the summer of 2020, yeah. uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenant, which has been pushed a few times now to kind of make way uh, to get out in front of or behind the coronavirus and the global pandemic that we are all living, uh, Tenant has now just been put on hold indefinitely as everybody realizes that we are kind of screwed for the rest of the year and there's yeah. no telling when movies are going to get back to normal. Right. Um, so not that this is like new information as we've talked about Tenet and other movies being, move, being moved and shifted kind of since this whole thing began. But the key difference here is as opposed to shifting uh, a few weeks or a month or even a couple months, they're just calling the ball. Like Tenet was sort of the first one that was supposed to be the, this is Christopher Nolan. He can open a movie. This is the thing that's going to get people over their fears of going out in public and into seats in a socially distant fashion. And they finally realized that it's just not the time. It's not going to work. They can't really say what's going to happen in the next few weeks or the next month. So with that going on hold, it actually does kind of call back into question a lot of the choices that have been made throughout the summer. So, you know, Disney, Universal, everybody has sort of had some of these bigger tentpole movies that have just been like moving down the line. We know that Black Canary, Black Canary, Black Widow took the spot of the Eternals. We know that Mulan was going to follow up right after Tenant. You know, we know that a lot of these movies have been so with this with this big shuffling, there is a chance, um, we'll see what happens, that a couple of these movies at least, some of these studios are just going to call the ball and put them out on streaming, uh, which I kind of hope they do just because. God, wouldn't it be nice to have some new movies for us to talk about? Yeah. Uh, and it just kind of does underscore the fact that 
as we all struggle to deal with the new, new, new normal of where we are now kind of uh, rounding out the year with the uh, coronavirus, there's really no telling when we will all be sitting in a movie theater again. That's true. Very true. What do you think, Shan? Oh, yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And it's one of those things that we kind of saw coming um, when they when they delayed its release. I believe it was two weeks at first at the end of July. It was like, ah, uh, that's that seems ambitious. And then they bumped it to August. And at that point, it's like, I, I don't think this is going to come out. And in terms of the films that they are going to release possibly on a premium VOD, uh, I don't think Tenet will be one of them. I think that no. there's. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think Christopher Nolan would ever, would ever let that happen. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see which movies, if any more, do go to PBOD. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. Because thus far, it's, it was mainly a couple of big animated movies with right. uh, Scoob and Trolls World Tour. Um, we got The Invisible Man. We got The Hunt. But those had already kind of been in theaters. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's a bummer. Uh, I, I, know, I know I personally really miss being in a movie theater with you guys and getting to experience something. Um, so yeah, for any of you folks out there that want to get back to movies, just wear a mask. I, <laughs> I have a yeah. feeling, I mean, I, I kind of think it, I mean, this sounds horrible, but I mean, I think it's a safe bet that like the rest of 2020 is pretty much a wash. I yeah, mean, I, I think that, I, think so too, dude. I, I just, right. I just think that given, given where everything's at, uh, I, I don't see us really, I think at the at the outside, being super optimistic, we hit January 21 and things are kind of opening up again if we're really lucky. Uh, and I think what that really does mean is I think if I had to bet, depending on how far it goes, I bet we will get Mulan mm-hmm. before the year's out. I bet we will get Wonder Woman 84 before the year's out yeah. for streaming. And if we get to November and movies still aren't opening, I don't think that Marvel wants to shift all of their movies yet again. Like if they get to the point where Black Canary would have to, God, Black Canary. Apparently I really want a Black Canary. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's that, and not, not the Harley Quinn movie. That didn't count. I want, I want Black Canary in her own, but uh, if the Black Widow movie had to get pushed to whatever Eternal's new slot was, which ends yeah. up pushing the Marvel movies all again, I think at a certain point they're going to call the ball on some of these things and be like, "All right, we're going to do a big release. We're going to maybe we're going to do it for like a limited time so that we can yeah. still do a theatrical, or we're going to like have saved footage, so we're going to do the uncut version in theaters in 2021 to try and make some more money." Like there'll probably be some stuff like that, but I would not be surprised if we end up starting to see some of these things as the year goes out, just because at a certain point it just doesn't make sense to keep them with everything else you have lined up down the pipe. Right, and also in terms of the MCU, I mean, going to the Disney Plus series, I mean, they have not officially said Falcon and Winter Soldier is delayed, but I guess that the August offerings came out and it was not on there, which it was originally supposed to come out in August. They weren't done. I mean, they're almost done uh, filming, uh, but they're not completed. Uh, But apparently WandaVision is still scheduled for December, which that is a move surprises me because if what we've heard is correct, it's going to lead straight into Dr. Strange two, which has been delayed to 2022. So why you would put that show out that you're going to have a, you know, over a year to to lead up to. 
I think it's a couple things. I think just based on the rollout of features that Marvel has, uh, I don't think, aside from things tying in, I don't think it gets in the way of. Like, I think that there's there's nothing in the movie that, that's going to contradict in Eternals or, you know, whatever else that's going to contradict. So it's just going to sort of sit there. And I think this is where you see sort of the corporate mentality of, if it was up to Marvel, let's just save all of it and have WandaVision come out closer to Doctor Strange. But... Disney Plus needs content. Yeah. Like, so while while you're trying to struggle with this push and pull and you're like, look, I'm really sorry. I know you had this great plan that WandaVision was going to come out and everyone was going to go, holy shit. And three months later, they were going to go to see Doctor Strange too. And that was going to be perfect. But I'm not holding this content that we have ready when we can't go film new things. Yeah. We're fucking putting this on here because that's how a streamer works. Yeah. So I think this is where the push and pull of working for a giant corporation like Disney Works out in a way that, like, I wouldn't say is bad because I think we're all excited to see WandaVision, but will work out in a way that we will probably have to all go back and rewatch WandaVision a year later to be like, okay, so what happened before I go see Doctor Strange 2? Right, right. So there's we'll no, see. Yeah, there's no way they're not 60 person Zoom meetings already happening or 20 person Zoom meetings that have been happening for quite some time over the last few months deciding what can happen. What do we do if this happens? What do we do if that happens? What do we do if, if this gets extended? What, do we, what are our what are our schedule adjustments that we can make and still kind of you know save our 2021 slate? and start getting people back in the theaters to see our movies again. What can we drop? What can we not drop? And they're looking at the numbers on the VOD stuff that, that has already come through here over the last few months as well, seeing the numbers overall on the uh, on the view numbers, at least, on the streaming services for something like Old Guard or Palm Springs, which both, both uh, came out really, really powerfully well, and so did Greyhound. Greg, Greyhound did well on Apple TV Plus too. So they're looking at it and they know there's an audience there. Yeah, maybe they'll lose a little bit of money, but they're, they're, the audience is there, and you know how it is out of sight out of mind people start to move on right already the surveys have come out how many 70 to 80 percent of people are quite happy never going back to a movie theater and watching things at their house they've acclimated so quickly that's the way human beings are they acclimate to situations do we like it or not no not really we do want to keep the theaters there for people to enjoy but you don't know and i liken it a little bit to me like that old uh, i love lucy episode where she's working in the chocolate factory after a while, if you don't pull them off in the right time, it just piles up and then you're just lost. You're just absolutely lost. And I think that's what the studios are encountering right now is they're absolutely – things are just piling up. And after a while, you're going to have to put this stuff out one way or another and take the loss. I think absolutely. If this goes all the way to December, there's no way we're not seeing Black Widow – and Wonder Woman 84, in my opinion, come out in the streaming service. Tenet, I think Nolan will hold on to that thing, like, uh, you know, pry it from his cold, dead hands before you put it on a streaming service. But I think every, just about every other movie that was scheduled or slated to come out could come out streaming. I wouldn't even put Top Gun Maverick off the plate as a possibility to come out. I mean, this is a sequel 35 years later. You know, uh, how much were they really expecting to make off this? Just drop it and get people excited about it. And you could create new video on demand parameters where you drop the movie for 24 hours for like $35 or $40. And then every 24 hours, you got to pay another $40 to watch it again. So that's a way of maybe recouping some of the money, 20 to $25. I think that's a possibility. People initially got upset because uh, King of Staten Island was 20 bucks and blah, blah, blah. But I think as we adjusted this new, new normal, as Michael said, the idea of spending extra money for the content, just to have something to watch and have something to talk about, I think will become something people get used to. Yeah, I do think that, I mean, yeah, they'll figure out the financial model of it all. But I, and we said this, I think, at the very beginning, uh, you know, trolls 
made Trolls 2 better than Trolls 1. Scoob yep. made a ton of money. But I have a feeling, and this is what everyone at the movie theaters is really scared of, is that I have a feeling if a Wonder Woman or a Black Widow comes out for streaming, mm-hmm. the numbers that you're going to see it make are going to be so big. Yeah, Everybody's been waiting for these movies. Everyone yep. wants to see what happens. Everybody wants to know. The numbers will be so big and they will surprise everyone at the money that gets raked in really rapidly. And that could ultimately be a death knell for movie theaters. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for, for trolls, trolls aside, scoob aside, you know, either one of those movies comes out and we all spend 20 bucks, 30 bucks to rent it before. And, you know, and like for Disney, there's also the, the added thing. It's the same thing they did with Onward that like a Black Widow would come out for streaming for say yeah. 20 bucks for a three day rental or a 24 hour rental or 48 hour rental. Um, and that's for like three weeks or a month. And then a month later, it just moves over to Disney Plus. And if yeah. they get a strong box, if they get strong return on their investment on streaming, plus they see viewership on Disney Plus go up as soon as Black Widow goes there, it's like there's there's a whole financial formula there that works out really well for them. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. And I'm sure we will at least have one or two test cases on that before the year is out. Yeah. And if for people who were thinking about this thing coming out internationally, Tenet, China came out and said they can't screen this in their movie theaters because right now with their restrictions, only two hour movies are allowed to be screened. And this is a two hour and a half film. So already they'll even they're even fighting uphill in another country that's doing better with how they're dealing with this coronavirus situation and has the possibility of opening up. Even there, they're being limited with the amount of time that, that they can put a movie in the actual movie theater per showing. So that's a situation that so so Nolan's getting screwed on all kinds of all sides of this situation wonder, and pushing it. Got, all right. I wonder how they got that number. Like what was the after two hours? Like, yeah, like I wonder the like, percentage wonder that... apparently increases after two hours of in a confined space. Apparently, the percentage of contracting the coronavirus increases exponentially once you cross that two hour mark. Hey, I'm not a scientist, I'm just saying what they said. What you talking about, China? Well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about that. I don't, know. I, I don't like to get involved in, in uh, Chinese medicine. So, all right, uh, what, what do you think, uh, Shannon? Are we good? You want to jump on to the next thing? Yeah, so uh, in, in the current trend of movies getting delayed, uh, <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong, which is the fourth film in Warner's attempt at having sort of a monster shared universe. Uh, that movie was originally supposed to come out in March of this year, and it got delayed to November. Yeah. It was delayed again until next May. We still hadn't really seen anything about it, which not always the best sign. But right. <laughs> as has, has as has happened with some other uh, big movies, we got our first look at some Godzilla versus Kong artwork through a leak from some toy packaging. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can see this. Uh, you can see the photo online anywhere. Just google godzilla versus kong and you get this pretty epic looking shot of godzilla and kong duking it out over what it looks like is a uh is an aircraft carrier and you'll yeah. notice that kong is actually the same size as godzilla hmm. so we found out in godzilla that i mean godzilla is enormous uh yeah. over 100 feet tall i think and then kong when we saw him in skull island which was also set during the 70s he was Nowhere near the size of Godzilla, but John C. Riley's character had a speech where he said, you know, Kong is big and he keeps growing. Yeah. So that is how it seems like they are going to justify them being roughly the same size. In terms of these movies, uh, the first Godzilla, you know, I thought it was okay. Kong, the Skull Island I enjoyed. 
the Godzilla sequel, there were certainly moments that I liked. I don't know. I don't know if this if this will be the last entry in the Warner shared universe, but at least what did you guys think of the photo or of the artwork? Mike? I mean, I, I my first thought was I don't think that those two can stand on an aircraft carrier and the aircraft carrier stays afloat. <laughs> that was don't that was you my body first shame thought. those monsters. Don't you body shame? I mean, those those are two very, very large monsters. And that aircraft carrier looked like it was just sort of chilling. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like, have you ever, have you ever been in the pool as like a regular size adult and tried to like climb on a raft and the raft sort reference. of like flips over. So I'm just sitting watching it. Like how did they both crawl on this thing and anything is still on deck? Maybe, right. it's, in, maybe really... it's in dry dock. Maybe it's in dry dock. We don't yes, know, Michael. So I had a lot of questions. I think, you know what is so funny? And you, you as you said this, like, this is maybe the wonkiest shared universe of all shared universes, and I'm including DC in that. Like, it is wow. so, like, by the barest squint test, do, do these things even connect? Like, each one of them is so weird and random in their own way with yeah. their own vibes. But, like, we'll throw in a little post-credit sequence here or we'll name a person here or we'll, like, have, a like, a character who was another character in this thing, but you have to go back and look at them because you didn't really remember they were in the movie to see. Like, it is a it is a shared universe by the thinnest of threads but i guess you know it's all just to get us to this so i mean i yeah. think it's like it's, it's really this like aircraft carrier physics aside if um if if congress's godzilla is a great <laughs> knockdown drag down fight i guess it was all worth it but yeah. man yeah. weird movies let's take a look at it right now look at that thing look at this it's interesting uh it almost looks like that batwoman thing hey this is a still from the show no it isn't it's a drawn photo for God's sakes, it's not real. This is not an actual shot from the actual movie, but it gives you an idea of what it would look like. But yes, you're right, Mike. That aircraft carrier should absolutely be sinking from the weight of Godzilla stepping on it. It should probably <laughs> split in half for the love of God. And God Godzilla and King Kong both stepping on it should snap it in half for sure. But maybe this is the moment just before it snaps in half and Godzilla misses with the or King Kong misses with the punch. So that's possible too. But overall, I, I love the look of this. Uh, I'm one of those idiots who goes and sees this thing and turns his brain off and just goes, yeah, right. Well, I, mean, I think all three of us saw Godzilla King of Monsters together and had uh, interesting reactions coming out of the movie for sure. I, I do that thing. I do that thing. And you guys both know this is true. We're like, I'll go in and turn my brain off. I'll be like, we're just going to have a good time. And like yeah. to a degree, my brain will stay off and then something will happen. Yeah. Like some moment will happen and I'll just go, wait a minute yeah or this really which one oh yeah a lot a lot of twisting and turning when i'm not happy uh i i really do want to see the movie where they both try and climb on an aircraft carrier now though like i want to see like that's i i would pay good money to see the version where like kong like comes out of the water but the aircraft carrier starts sliding and he like gets one leg up on the side of it and he can't quite do it and the whole thing flips over like that's Oh my that, God. That's that's my summers in Palm Springs. That's what I want to see. If they would put if they would put <laughs> digital outtakes at the end of the movie of Godzilla and Kong trying to get on this floating <laughs> aircraft. Ah, ah. Oh man! Oh, that would be funny as hell. Um, but look, you got to give credit to the studios. Going, look, we're just going to do this thing. It's weird. I think it understands. It's very unusual type of shared universe. You're absolutely right, Mike. 
There's not a cohesive thread necessarily. There's an attempt at a cohesive thread, but it doesn't really work. And they keep throwing in this mysterious company that's doing, was it? Uh, was Monarch. It Monarch, this mysterious company doing all the stuff that they're doing with these monsters and then bringing in certainly a good stable of actors to be part of this universe. Vera Farmiga, oh. Bradley Whitford, uh, uh, Coach Taylor, uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, Denai Guerrero, I think, is going to be in the next. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Lupita Nyong'o is going to be in the next one. And so you've got and John C. Riley, uh, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson. This is a universe that is full of some uh, Brian Cranston, uh, some good actors, Elizabeth Olsen. So, like, there's a lot to uh, a lack of actors who are drawn to this situation. Uh, but I'm with Mikey. I hope they finally get it right in this movie. If everything led to them making this movie and having a big kick ass, then it's worth it. You would really think with all those actors. Yeah. Like, you'd really think we would have built something a little bit bigger with this. But uh, you know what? I like, like whatever. I'm going to fucking go see it. Like, I, yeah. I'll, I'll go will. see it. You, you could literally, you could literally put anything up on a screen at this point, and I would go to a movie theater to see it. I'm going to dress in a hazmat. <laughs> I'll put on my hazmat suit. I would, like, I would, I would literally go see pretty much. And you could say the only thing that we are showing in theaters for the next month because we have no money is X Men Apocalypse. And I will go, go sit and watch it. I that wow. I want to go sit in a movie theater that bad. What about Dark Phoenix? Would you draw the line at Dark Phoenix? Here's the thing. This, this is a whole other conversation for another day. Oh. X-Men Apocalypse is worse than Dark Phoenix. Like, here's no no no. Here's here's what I'll say about it. I like um, this. This could be a fun debate someday down the road. X-Men Apocalypse <laughs> is like is like X-Men Apocalypse is like offensively bad. Like it's just ridiculously bad like right. oscar isaac in all that makeup like can't even move his neck like it's the whole thing is so ridiculously bad i can't no. actually fathom how bad it is going to see dark phoenix the the disappointing thing about dark phoenix is you sit there and you go this is not good enough for me to like and it's not bad enough for me to hate it ah. literally just exists Okay. Which is actually maybe worse in a lot of ways, but it's like X-Men Apocalypse is like, at least it's like laughably bad. Like right. you want to have a night with your friends where you are going to laugh your ass off, like take an edible, pour some whiskey, watch X-Men Apocalypse and like go to town because it's that bad. You can just have a field day. X-Men Dark Phoenix, you kind of sit there and you're like, I guess, sure. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's motivated. X-Men Apocalypse versus X-Men The Last Stand. Oof. That's <laughs> I think I have to go last stand because at least you get Wolverine. At least you get Hugh Jackman. And as yeah, Wolverine. like I think that X Men: The Last Stand, even though it's a god awful movie, yeah, and even though here, like everything is handled horribly, you get Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. You get Ian yeah. McKellen has a few nice Magneto moments. He does. You you get a resolution yeah. with uh with Wolverine and Phoenix to a degree, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it feels like it had it, it X-Men X-Men Dark Phoenix feels like so lightweight that you're almost just like, eh. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, I sat in the theater and I was just like, okay. Like, yeah. the, like I walked out, like, how'd you feel about it? And I was like, I, I don't even really want to talk about it. Like, there's nothing to say. It, it was there. It was fine. Like, at least, yeah. you know. Yeah. All right. I don't end on such a down note, guys. You want to talk about the raft some more? You want to talk about Kong and Godzilla? Like, we... no, no, no. Uh, we'll well, move on. Godzilla um, versus Kong comes out May twenty twenty one. 
as of right now. Hopefully. Hopefully. We shall see. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching this first half of the Geek Buddies. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, for those of you who are listening to us on the podcast, uh, this is where the promos come in for the uh, sponsors of the show. For those who are watching us on YouTube, we're just going to take a quick five seconds, and we'll be right back. Do, 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 do. It's better than Adam's family. There we go. And we're under that 10 second mark where we don't get a strike against the show. And by the way, if you're underage and you're listening to the show, we do not advocate you using edibles or drinking or anything like that before you watch a movie. If you're overage, please feel free. It's your right and your life. So, all right. It's all legal here. We're in California. I, I know we're in California. Not everyone's in California, though. You know, I don't want to get angry letters from Topeka. I'm just saying. You want to have? Do you want to have a good night? Come to California. Buy some edibles. Buy some drinks. Oh watch God. a movie we're if you're over if you're over 21 if you're yes. over 21 you're over 21 for the love of god if you're only only if you're over 21 please uh anyway so our main topic today and uh you know i thought it's a little bit of a bittersweet one but i thought it would be nice and the guys agreed to uh have a bit of a remembrance and a tribute for robin williams uh, who we you know we lost a few years ago his birthday happened this week uh but he's a gentleman who left such an impression on so many of us and i know so many of you all watching us or listening to us uh, probably had their have their own experience and journey with Robin Williams. Even young people discovering his work now and kind of moving up the chain and get, uh, catching up on his movies. So many interesting characters, interesting things that he did from uh, Mork and Mindy, which is I'm in Happy Days, which is where I first got exposed to him, all the way up until his last film. There was so much Goodwill Hunting, Jumanji, so many great The Dead Poets Society. Uh, he left uh, Fisher King left so many incredible impressions on you but aladdin is another one that is a geek uh, essentially a geek related type of thing so there were oh there were so many so much incredible possibilities in robin williams humor wise drama wise and everything like that and of course he passed away unfortunately by his own hand but that doesn't take away from the incredible legacy he left us uh what are your remembrances of robin williams gentlemen on this uh, his uh, celebration of his birthday this week well, I remember growing up and when Mork and Mindy was on and I wasn't at an age where I really understood a lot of the humor. Um, but just looking at him in that red outfit, especially when he was in like that black <laughs> void talking, yeah. talking to his home planet with the whole Nanu Nanu. Awesome, um, yeah. You, you, there was just this feeling that you got from him that it was just joy and just, and everything was just, everything that he said was funny. And I remember, I think the loudest I have, one of the loudest times I've ever laughed in a movie theater was watching Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. I mean, and I was, you know, a bit, a bit older then and, and understood uh, some more of the adult humor. But, you know, Robin Williams chucking a, a, some piece of citrus at Pierce Brosnan's head and saying it was a, it was a run by fruiting. <laughs> Drive by, yeah, run by fruiting, yeah. <laughs> Which took, like, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> It took me years, but then once, but it, but it was funny. Like you couldn't deny the humor of it. Right. Um, but then putting putting that together, I'm like, it was a run, drive by run by fruiting. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so funny! And just his scene where he was having to go back and forth between being Mrs. Doubtfire and being uh, at that meeting with the the network head. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean everything about Mrs. Doubtfire. I just was. It was just so funny at the time and he also turned in a really heartfelt performance as well you got to see the heartbreak 
um, of someone who discovers that their marriage is ending, the the heartbreak of someone right. who isn't able to spend the time with their children that they would like to. I mean, as an all around performer, um, Robin Williams was just amazing. And, uh, you know, not just on the comedy side. I mean, you can watch any number of his dramatic performances mm -hmm. where he won, where he won awards, where he won an Oscar. And uh, Robin Williams was just one of those truly, truly special performers that uh, was a shame that we lost. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny when you think about, growing up versus today. I mean, today for all that the world is like a fucking shithole half the time, uh, like, you know, for all that we're like, so, like everything is horrible. Like we see a lot of funny stuff because of social media, because of YouTube, because of TikTok, because of memes, like we're constantly laughing. Like people are funny. Yes. Uh, and stuff gets spread around. Every one of us texts each other. You know, you text a TikTok, you text a meme. You're like, oh my God, did you see this video? And we're all laughing. But growing up when we didn't have social media, uh, what we had was people like Robin Williams, where you would listen to a tape of comic relief or you would go see him in a movie and you would go tell your friends. I mean, the the viral uh, the viral transfer of comedy wasn't uh, texting someone. It was like going to school. Like I remember um, I bought the Good Morning, uh, Good Morning Vietnam soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, because every two or three songs, it actually had Robin Williams as Adrian Cronauer doing his bits that he did in the movie. Yeah. And I committed every single bit <laughs> to memory so that I could go to school and when appropriate, and sometimes when not appropriate, could be like, you know, uh, well, we got a weather report. What's going on here, uh, Adrian? Uh, we got a buffalo stampede. You know, like I would do the whole thing. Like I could do all of it. Um, and like that was like my like if I could be as funny as Robin Williams at school, which uh, I would never be able to come up with the shit that comes out of his head. But if I could at least emulate it and copy it, I would be the funny kid in school. And that's what I did like that. That was sort of my thing. I was like, I thought Robin Williams was the funniest. And so I attained to be able to do whatever he could do and do whatever voices he could do. Yeah. We got some crotch pot cooking. It's so hot. Yeah. It's uh, so a, so a little man in an orange robe bursting into flames. That's how hot it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, there are, there are uh, um, certain comics that come along and they transcend generations. They transcend race. They transcend everything. And they're just beloved across the board. And Robin Williams was one of those people, you know, um, so much of what he did when he first started out was, you know, really kind of hardcore comedy and hard, you know, kind of blue comedy that you didn't even know about behind the scenes. Kind of like Red Fox, right? Sanford and Son, oh, he's a funny old black guy on, on, on Sanford and Son. Then you buy his albums, you're like, oh, my God. You know, there's a lot of X-rated, R-rated material. Uh, every time Robin would go into the R-rated stuff, he just made it seem connectable and funny and interesting and not necessarily working blue to be blue. Do you know what I'm saying? It was it had the sweetness and a vulnerability to it. No matter what he was talking about, sex or drugs or cussing or whatever, it just had this connectability to it that made it feel safe and okay uh overall i mean i remember uh, to me uh, he'll always be an integral part of my life or an integral moment in my life because it, that was the first movie my parents ever took me to that was r-rated was the world according to garp they thought that they were going to see a robin williams from the mork and mindy show in a movie they didn't <laughs> understand why it was r-rated uh and so they took me to see it and all of it and you know you've got transvestites you've got uh blowjobs in the car you've got all kinds of stuff happening sex stuff and so i i constantly 
spent the movie, the whole movie like this, because my parents just kind of wanted to finish watching it. Uh, and that was my first exposure or my first exposure film wise to Robin Williams. And from there, you know, you've got a hook. You've got good. Like you mentioned, my good morning, Vietnam. Moscow on the Hudson is your uh, window into what's coming in Goodwill Hunting. If you watch Moscow on the Hudson, it is an incredibly heartbreaking dramatic turn uh, from Robin Williams that is so painful and heartbreaking to watch because he's a Russian immigrant who who immigrates here to this country um, and is supposed to do it with a bunch of people from his circus and nobody does it but him. And so he has to figure out America by himself. He can't talk to his family. He can't. So that whole journey of the immigrant, that appealed to us as well as the son of immigrants, that movie really connected with me as well. So he's always been like kind of someone I looked forward to. What's he doing now? What's he into now? What's the movies? And then you see him veer into fill-in stuff. People forget about how good he is in Insomnia or One Hour Photo. It isn't just the sweet family stuff. He could also go dark and make it believable for the most part whenever you saw him in anything he did. So, I mean, he was only 63 years old. That's the heartbreaking part of it all. Um, you know, and of course he was dealing with what he was dealing with, but 63 years old is so early to be robbed of what could be uh, so many great roles down down the road for him, you know? And so I just think it's a, an incredibly rare thing to be able to come into this world and leave such a legacy and affect so many generations of people. He's almost like the Beatles. Every generation past us will discover Robin Williams again and enjoy him all over again uh, and become fans of him because of the work he's done. Well, yeah. I think another way, I think another way that um, his legacy is still seen today that people don't really remember is that prior to Aladdin, yeah, uh, animated movies didn't necessarily have pop culture references in them. Right. Uh, the way animated features worked is they were more universal. You might have like, you know, the vultures in the jungle book kind of resemble the Beatles, or you might have a little nod here, or the music is feeling of a time, but you don't have like. They, these are fairy tale worlds. These are magical places. You don't go right for the modern day joke. So when Aladdin came out, uh, you know, the people were very almost taken aback, not in a bad way because people loved Aladdin, but like the idea that you would have a character in a fantasy movie that was set in a fairy tale world yeah. all of a sudden turn around and be Arsenio Hall or be Jack Nicholson or be Groucho Marx. Like that, that, that didn't happen in movies. You had like Looney Tunes back in the day where you would have like the celebrity references, but in, in Disney movies, they were always meant to be more timeless and more classic. And Aladdin came along. And completely blew that out of the water. Uh, and from that point forward, uh, you started to see other places like Pixar, like DreamWorks, double down on that with movies like Shrek or different things like that, where you really like dove into, we're going to make a lot of modern day funny pop culture references and be really of the moment and kind of not try and be as timeless. Mm -hmm. And that all started with the genie in Robin Williams. I mean, that was really a now we look back on it and, you know, Aladdin is such a Disney animated classic that we're like, it's classic. But when it came out, mm -hmm. Disney movies were not funny like that. And it like was really, really a whole new thing. I mean, that was like one of the first times that you really started to hear people say, uh, well, you should be able to get an Academy Award nomination for a performance as an animated yeah. character because that's how good Robin Williams was as the genie. Right. Uh, you know, that predates all of the Andy Serkis mocap oscar nomination talks as well yeah. um it was, it was the first time that you were like this wouldn't be 
uh, th this wouldn't be it. In fact, what's really cool, uh, if you, I'll try and find it and post it on the Twitter page. Eric Goldberg, who was the animator of the genie, yeah. uh, when they were trying to see how they would do this and if they could make it work, he actually took, kind of to Johnny's point, he took some of Robin Williams' old stand-up and actually animated it in rough animation wow, as like a that. test. And they do that a lot of the times. Like you can like okay. Pixar does it a lot with their tests. Like they'll take uh, you know, a Tom Hanks movie before it was Tom Hanks. So they'll take an actor and they'll just take some footage, some dialogue of them doing something and animate it to just see how it plays, to see how it works. And so yeah, there's footage out there of Robin Williams stand up, but it's the genie kind of going back and forth and bouncing around and doing it. That's really, really cool. Huh. Well, also another thing that uh, you mentioned, Gene, and you mentioned Aladdin. Just throw, let me throw in real quick. People, I mean, uh, studios had stunt casted in animated films before. Certainly, All Dogs Go to Heaven with Burt Reynolds, Michael J. Fox. Uh, you know, you'd seen other uh, Sally Field voicing over some of the characters as well. But no, I think genie was the first one feature film wise that i if i can and correct me if i'm wrong michael that you went oh wow this is robin williams like the, a character and an actor both like hitting the pop culture mainstream at the same time with this characterization that it became iconic right we get james earl jones later as a, as a as a, a mufasa two years later but like this was the one that i feel like elevated the idea of stunt casting to why you do it the possibilities yeah. of what can happen in animation if it, you stunt cast correctly it's a very jeffrey katzenberg thing i mean this is when mm. katzenberg was sort of at his peak at walt disney feature animation and then you see him go over to dreamworks and kind of do the same thing but to your point johnny it's not to say that there was never a celebrity in an animated movie you would right. oh you'd cast a celebrity but the celebrity was always secondary to the movie and the character itself you never like went out and like did the pr blitz of right. this is this thing uh, and yeah, Robin Williams was really, I mean, when you think of like the voice cast of like, say Little Mermaid or, you know, Beauty and the Beast, you have Jerry Orbach, you have right. Angela Lansbury, but it's not like you are doubling down on the biggest names of the day yeah, and yeah. casting Robin Williams as the genie was the first time that the actor playing the role sort of eclipsed the role itself or eclipsed yeah. the movie to the point where it's hard to think of the genie not being that. And then you saw that that worked so well for them that to your point, all of a sudden the Lion King comes out and it's, you know, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, Jeremy Irons as Scar, Matthew Broderick as Simba, uh, you know, like it was, it, they really, they really went for it. And you've seen from that point forward, you know, Mike Myers as Shrek, Eddie Murphy yeah. as Donkey, uh, you know, Val Kilmer as Moses. You know, you could just sort of see from that point forward, they saw the benefit of attaching, you know, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Maui. Right. Um, you know, that that is that thing. But like, yeah, prior to Robin Williams, it didn't really go that way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was a definitely a big change. And I think that had had Robin Williams not sort of dominated that role so profoundly, uh, it might have been a little bit different. Yeah. Shannon? Yeah. Yeah. And you think about the things that he almost did. And right. again, he was only 63. You think about the things that he could have done. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when they were doing the first Batman, his name was thrown out for the Joker. Like, you don't know <laughs> how, how close it actually got to. But, right. you know, and in 89, he wasn't he he had some dramatic he had some dramatic roles under his belt, but he certainly wasn't ever thought of as like a villain. Um, then he was up for he was going to be the Riddler in Batman Forever, and you think about yeah. what he could do now, knowing the places that he could go in terms of his dramatic side. Think about the characters he could have given us, and right. it's just I mean we're we're lucky to have gotten what we did from him, 
but it would have been really great to see what else what else was left in the tank yeah you talk about the 89 like one year later is awakenings which is one of his greatest dramatic performances and then two years later is the fisher king which is one of most of his most affecting dramatic performances as well and you know you got you can't you, you'd be remiss not to mention goodwill hunting yes he won the oscar for it but it isn't one of these like you know gift oscars or legacy oscars it's an incredible performance i saw it again uh, maybe three or four days ago, just randomly flipping channels. I watched an hour of it, just watching him. And I cried. I cried because I was like, this is such a, I don't know, a tender, tough, vulnerable performance from an actor who's reached an age where he understands these emotions so richly. And bringing yeah. them out in his interactions with Matt Damon, you're like, man, wow, this this is just so much power and talent was in this guy, uh, and yet he was notoriously insecure, notoriously scared that people were going to forget about him if he didn't do stuff, notoriously worried about not working again. This has been reported numerous times about how afraid he was that, uh, to stay out of the public eye, which is properly what a lot of what drove his manic style of comedy. Uh, and Michael, I, you know, I, I throw to you on this one too. I mean, The Birdcage. How, how many people oh. watched The Birdcage and were maybe – not cool with homosexuality or didn't like the idea of gay men and but watch that film and robin williams is their entry point into maybe understanding this a little bit better or accepting it a little bit more by watching his interactions with nathan lane and what's really funny uh, about that is obviously you know i love the birdcage we love the birdcage we watch it all the time together i sure. watch that scene with robin williams and nathan lane sitting on the park bench and i feel like that's <laughs> me and john roca in about what? 40 years so it's fine it's fine but uh Shannon can be our Agador Spartacus. It's great. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> make that stew, Adam. Make that stew. But, I don't uh, wear the shoes. They make what, me fall down. <laughs> what's very funny, and I can't speak for all of gay culture, but uh, amongst like my friends who I talk to here in West Hollywood, you know, you definitely get to a point now where, you know, as we talk about representation, it's always better when gay people, gay actors get to play gay characters as opposed sure. to straight people. Trans sure. actors should be able to play trans characters on screen. Uh, I, for some reason, Robin Williams gets a pass in Birdcage. He's so, <laughs> he's so, we all love him so much and he's so perfect. And the genuine love that you feel between him and Nathan Lane is so lovely. It's kind of like, I mean, you know what we're talking about and we've all sort of said it in different yeah. ways, which is that fact that he was as funny as he was because his heart was as big as it was. Yeah. And he was also as good of a dramatic actor as he was because his heart was as big as it was. And I think because of that, it's sort of like, you know, I, I never, I go back, Birdcage is problematic in a few ways, less, sure. less than other movies, but it's sure. problematic in a few ways. Sure. But, uh, but his performance as a loving uh, gay father and as a gay partner to Nathan Lane, uh, you know, is, is so genuine and real, which is what makes it so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 that, and I think especially being a closeted gay kid in high school going to see Birdcage, <laughs> definitely, definitely there was a me looking up on that screen and like, you know, this was long before anybody even thought gay marriage could ever be a thing. Right. But to see that scene, as as much as like Birdcage for me is hilarious because it is one of the fun, it is one of my top funny movies of all time. Right. But like I said, that scene where he and Nathan Lane are sitting on that bench uh, with the with the giant boat behind them talking yeah. about their future and kind of saying that they're like, you know, his life is with him and whatever. As much as they are like a 
ridiculously dysfunctional couple in a thousand ways as a little gay closet kid i watched that and was like "Ooh, okay yeah that is something i can have one day because it felt so true to me right so right and and for straight people watching it and i know for me at that time i wasn't that exposed to this idea never was against homosexuality but it, you know it, the before idea. you met this guy <laughs> right here fair absolutely fair but watching that movie thoroughly enjoyed it and thoroughly felt the emotion of that moment so so real you know i mean i'm in my mid-20s when that movie comes out and i'm watching two men on that park bench and it's or on that bench and you're just like oh wow so this is yeah it's all comparable it's all universal it's all relatable it's love is love no matter who you love and the same stuff you encounter in relationships is the same stuff you encounter no matter whether you're gay or straight. And to me, that was an eye-opening moment. And yeah, now, kids nowadays growing up are like, oh, duh. But back then, it wasn't something you talked about that much. It wasn't something you you know, kind of opened up about. So to see it up on the screen like that was a, a real like uh, eye-opening thing. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure a lot of people who maybe have had had, had issues at that time even dealing, maybe having had gay sons or, uh, or, 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 you know, uh, seeing what happened, maybe gay brothers or sisters, gay brothers rather, or gay sisters. Sure. They're all uh, maybe had the, a different point of view coming out from that movie because of the way it was done, you know, and all credit to Mike Nichols as well for directing that one, but it's Robin Williams tenderness throughout and Nathan Lane's vulnerability at, at, towards the tail end of the movie that kind of, you know, hooks you into these characters and makes you fall in love with them and their relationship and make it feel real. You know, and yeah. so that's a powerful thing um, as well with Robin, of course. And we'd be remiss not to mention all the charity work he did, man. Comic relief and all the incredible uh, things that he did showing up at those hospitals as Patch Adams. Whatever your feeling is about those about that movie, he showed up as Patch Adams all the time. The hospitals to make a wish and whatever for charity to help kids through stuff. It's incredible what he what he did, how much he gave, you know. Yeah, and I think you can you you definitely see that in his roles as well. Mm. To, to, to what Mike had said about his his big heart, how big a heart he had. I mean, you can look back at some of his films that are less than memorable, and you never put the blame on him. I mean, right. this is a guy who 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 gave everything. He gave everything to his charity causes, and he gave everything to his work. And it's it's evident even when the movie doesn't necessarily turn out well, that guy that guy worked his ass off. Yeah, yeah, and he was never afraid to take chances. Never afraid, even later on. Hook is not a perfect movie. Yes, but I love Hook. <laughs> um, I I made I I got in trouble because I skipped my final confirmation class at Hebrew school because it was on the night that Hook came out, and I made my dad take me to see Hook. And the teacher of my confirmation class was like, "You can see that any night. You should come to the last class." And I was like. This is Williams, Hoffman, and Spielberg. <laughs> I am going. <laughs> yeah. a, I was a strong-willed, I was a strong-willed child. But, but I mean, you know, like Hook is not a perfect movie, but uh, but Robin Williams as a grown-up Peter Pan is maybe one of the all-time greatest like casting movies of all time that yeah. is a hundred percent believable and kind of to everything we're talking about. A, a believable Peter Pan because he's playing against type the entire time. Mm -hmm. He's Robin Williams, who we know in real life is the uh, eternal child who, right. was, you know, who was, who was had that fun loving childlike spirit all the way until uh, his, he sadly took his life. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's playing against type in hook where he is playing the angry grown up, but you can still see 
the child underneath, which is what makes that part of it believable. That for all the problems that Hook has, uh, which, like I said, are multiple, uh, uh, Robin Williams playing Peter Pan uh, against Dustin Hoffman's uh, Captain Hook is still one of the most joyful combos that I have of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> when he when he yells at his children yeah. early in the, early Ooh. in the movie, I mean that's. That's that is the the scolding you get from a, that's a very real scolding, um, and and the young uh, was it Charlie Corsmo who played his son? Yeah. I mean that immediate I'm sorry that I mean like oh yeah I've done that I've done that when I've when I've been yelled at. By the way, complete sidebar, non Robin Williams related. Sure. sure. What year did Hook come out? 94, 90, 93, 94. Maggie Smith was old. In 91, 93, Maggie Smith was old in 91 (laughs) and she hasn't aged and it's 2020. (laughs) Like you go back, like it was like, I recently watched it in the past. Oh, let's watch hook. And you know, I know she's in it and I know Mm -hmm. she plays Wendy, but like you get to that point in the movie, they get to the house and she's like, hello boy. And you're like, Oh, it's Maggie Smith. Yep. Yep. She was old then. It's like Max Falcino. He came out of the womb 70 years old. Like he's, he's looked the same. 40, you know. It's true. You go, back, you go back and you look at it. How old, how old was Maggie Smith when Hook came out? She was 32 years old. <laughs> Just graduated high school. What? Uh, I, I, it's so funny. I recently watched a, a, a – there's a Hulu documentary, I think, on, on, on Hulu where, where they have Maggie Smith, Joan Plowright, Judy Dench, and uh, one of these oh. uh, British actresses. Oh, yeah. I watched it with oh, my girlfriend. Yeah. We had a really good time. And you're like, Maggie is the most aware out of all of them. And she's like, you know, possibly. You want to know what it's like for straight people. If you want to know what it's like when four gay people get together and just start talking shit, watch that. Yeah. Those four old women. It's like that's great. what, that it makes me laugh so hard. It yeah. is so good. Yeah. Yeah. The dames, <laughs> I think is what it's called. Um, anyway, well, well, I hope you enjoyed our tribute and remembrance of uh, Robin Williams. Uh, you know, uh, one of the greatest to ever do it and to ever grace our skin. I think all of us are forever changed from experiences. When you, when you watch a Robin Williams movie or experience a Robin Williams, a comedy stand-up special, or go back and watch his sitcoms, um, or even just listen to his interviews uh, and, ex- and experience his dramatic work as well. Uh, he left an incredible legacy, gone too soon, but uh, there's nothing wrong with taking time to appreciate, especially nowadays when everything is so crazy, how much would we love a new Robin Williams comedy that was getting great reviews for us to go and disappear into for even, an hour and 45 minutes or an hour and 50 minutes right now? Even beyond that, how great would it be if Robin Williams was around to discover TikTok? <laughs> yes! Yes! I mean... Imagine the stand-up you know, special he would do off the last three and a half years of this political climate. You just imagine how funny he'd be. Uh, really quick before we go, so what is everybody's quintessentially? If you have to pick your number one Robin Williams performance, Ooh. what is your number one, your 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 go to like this is who Robin Williams is to me performance? I I have to say Aladdin. I don't think there's anything he ever did. I think that was peak Robin Williams and quintessential. He is funny throughout. The references are exactly like he does in his comedy routine. But the tenderness he shows towards Aladdin as this thing gets deeper and deeper 
uh, is incredible. And the way they animate him when he realizes him being freed means Aladdin has to stay and do it. Like, it's great that his entire acting ability, comedic and dramatic, is encapsulated in that one performance. And yet you never actually see him physically on screen, but certainly you see him through the face of the genie uh, on screen uh, doing all the things that he's doing. Yeah, I would have to say John's reasoning for Aladdin is strong, but I, I would probably I would go with Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. I'm gonna pick a weird one. <laughs> uh, if if you were if you were a kid uh, growing up back in the day when Disney Hollywood's Disney Studios in Orlando was still Disney MGM Studios when it mm. first opened, and you went on the animation tour. Uh, of the animation studio that they had there, which was my favorite thing to do. My poor family had to endure me going into the room to like look through the glass like you're at the zoo, watching the animators draw, and I would stay there for hours. The first thing when you went in, you saw this movie that starred Walter Cronkite and Robin Williams going through what the animation experiment experience was. And Robin Williams was live action at the beginning, but then he gets turned into a lost boy and goes through the animation process, and you finally get to the end where Robin Williams, as a lost boy, faces off against Captain Hook. Uh, it is my favorite thing that Robin Williams has ever done because it's 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 and this predates him being the genie. Uh, I mean, this was this was like he you know it was this was like long before that. But it's sort of like taking Robin Williams, turning him into a cartoon character, and him going being self-aware Robin Williams kind of leading up to where he was with the genie going like I'm a cartoon character I can make my arms really long I can make myself look like a baby I could even talk like you Walter Cronkite and he does this whole bit uh and to me that is how I will always remember Robin Williams as a little animated lost boy that made me love animation That's and it is actually on YouTube, I believe. Yeah. There you go. Nice. If if you search back to Neverland animated short 1989, does that sound right, Mike? That is 100% correct. All right. <laughs> back to Neverland. If you guys would like to check out Mike Vogel's favorite Robin Williams performance, head over to YouTube. Yeah, and maybe that's a good reason to uh, start a Facebook group for the Geek Buddies so we can post things like this that we reference during shows for the fans or for you all to join the group and watch and enjoy and comment on as well. Um, but uh, that's our tr- – what's that? Uh, I was going to say, speaking of yeah. commenting on things with our fans, do you have any announcements you want to make about uh, oh, yeah, upcoming yeah. shows, well, Ron? Uh, on the heels of this uh, incredible conversation uh, about Robin Williams, uh, we did our first live episode last week, or last month, rather, and uh, really went off like gangbusters. So we will be back next week with another live episode, just like we had a month ago, of the Geek Buddies. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll bring you in live, answer your questions. We'll answer your Streamlabs and your Super Chats as well. So yeah, that one went off really, really well. People liked it. So whatever comments you've uh, been waiting to, uh, to make or whatever questions you've been waiting to ask us, Next week, you get a chance to do that with a live episode of the Geek Buddies. And we'll probably go an hour to an hour and a half, depending on the questions and the topics we're going to cover. But it'll happen next week. So look for that Thursday. Uh, I don't know what date. July 30th. July 30th. It'll be Thursday live, July 30th. We'll do a fun uh, live uh, episode of the Geek Buddies. So look out for that. Look out for the link and, uh, and, and come join us. We'll have a lot of fun. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah. There we go. 
right. Well, thanks everybody for watching this episode of uh, the Geek Buddies. Always appreciate you all taking the time to watch us or to download it on the podcast feast, feed and give us some love. What do we got to tell them, Shannon? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MK2. If you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at The Roca Says. And Mikey? Uh, yeah, all the movies that we want to see might be getting pushed, but the Geek Buddies are still here every week. And <laughs> we want uh, more buddies to join us. Uh, so definitely, look, subscribe below. Uh, definitely hit up. Watch all the rest of the Outlaws Amazing content on John Roca's YouTube channel. Uh, leave us some comments. Uh, copy this link, paste it into your Facebook, paste it into Twitter, tell everybody that you enjoyed it and that they should check us out. And if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts, uh, definitely rate us there as well. Uh, Leave us some comments. The more you do that, the more it rises up in the rankings. And as people are searching cool and funky, handsome guys to talk entertainment with, (laughs) we'll be one of the top names that comes up. Uh, So definitely, we appreciate all that you guys have been doing. Definitely keep it up and definitely, definitely join us next week for our live show because who knows what we'll have to talk about then and uh, we would love for you guys to become a part of the conversation yep and what special guests might stop by to come in live to ask us questions you never know we've got a bevy of friends who maybe might want to jump in certainly a couple of friends a last bevy. week last, a bevy say bevy did you say a plethora i don't know what a plethora is sir. uh you can follow me at the rogue says like uh, shannon said on twitter and on instagram please like and share this video on your social media give it some love uh and uh, we look forward to seeing it uh we look forward to having you all come on to the show live next week on the episode of the geek buddies hey! <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.